Uh, let's bow our heads, let's pray, let's dive right into the word of God, and then let's uh, seek the face of God. Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for that worship, that amazing worship, Lord. You're already in this place. You've already begun a work. You've already started something. I thank you for such a time as this that you do a new thing. Father, I pray that you remove anything that's contrary to you. Father God, we come against and we take authority right now over every principality, every power, every demonic force, every generation curse, oh God, every rebellion that is contrary to the word and the assignment for today, God, we cast it out in Jesus' name. We ask you, God, that you would be the rock star in this sermon, that you would be high and lifted up, and the Father, you would challenge your church to be the church. Be glorified. Touch my mouth. And Father, speak in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. I'm from the South Bronx, and in my context, the church goes back to the preacher. So I'm going to expect you to uh, at least say amen once in a while. For the introverts, I apologize. I am not your preacher. Uh, but for the extroverts, you know, I love this. About to get, it's about to go down. Amen? It's about to go down. I had one message, the Exile Church, a couple of weeks ago, well, a couple of hours ago, when I found out about this assignment. And then on the way over here, I was in the Uber because I came from Jersey. You know I love your pastor because I came from Jersey to Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Amen. Amen. No guilt trip. I'm just saying. Amen. Jersey. Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. All You know? And so as I'm in the cab, I'm starting to process. I'm meditating and I'm praying. And you know, as I sat down here and I met John and I met John's wife and, and the worship team and those that were setting up, I said, man, did, did he, did, did, there's, a, there's a feel, there's a flow here. A, and then I just really sensed. I said, no, 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 you're not going to say this. You're going to say that. So I'm going to say this to you. I want you to repeat when you say the gospel. The gospel. Oh, I'm sorry. Say the gospel. The gospel. Moves. Moves. The gospel moves. We're in Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 1, and reading from the ESV. I know that I'm in a reformed context, though this is a Pentecostalish denomination in Foursquare. Uh, but we're the covenant, so we're reformed ish. And uh, Pentecostal in the background. So, uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 1, the Bible says this. And now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis, I'm sorry. Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2, pay attention, don't lose it, here it is. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned. He reasoned with them for the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did, a great, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have came here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, and his name is Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they had heard these things, and when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. 
I mean, the Lord had a reading, had an anointing to the reading of his word. As I consider this text and as we dive into this, we see that Paul in his missional journey was fulfilling the assignment. We just read in the text that it says, as was his custom, as was his rhythm, as was what he used to do commonly. He would go to the synagogues in his journey, he would walk in, he would meet with the Jews in the synagogue, and he would then reason with them. He would, he would preach the gospel to them, he would, he would teach them. Understanding that this is no easy task, but we're talking about Saul, who once was a murderer who persecuted the church, now named Paul by Jesus himself, right, is set free into this ministry of reconciliation and redemption to what? The, to, the, to the Gentiles. Paul was on assignment. And when you think about what the gospel looks like in the New Testament, my concentration on my first master's degree was New Testament studies. And so while there's a lot of grief, there's also a lot of what? Narrative and deconstruction and construction of interpretive practice. What does that mean? You've got to look at the text and not just read the text, but read before the text, read after the text, and then read into the social context of what's happening when you read a pericope or a paragraph. When you study this one, you see that Paul was on assignment and on his assignment, the social context that he walks into is one under what? Roman pagan rule. We're talking first century. We're talking occupied territory. So the Jews were allowed to have synagogues, but the government that was over them was oppressive, was taxing them above the normal tax bracket, was oppressing them and forcing them to live on the margins. They were abused. They, were, they didn't have a say because Caesar and Rome ruled. This is the context that he's in. So he's dealing with his people that are number one oppressed. Number two, the context of the synagogue was that they were not believers. They were holding on to the law of Moses. So when he walks in, literally, he's reasoning, he's rationalizing, he's preaching, and he's teaching. He's, he's dealing with a government and a system that's anti him. Then he's walking into his people group and they're anti the narrative and the faith that he believes. So he finds himself in a doubly oppressed situation and framework. He finds himself in a city that doesn't want to hear him. He finds himself amongst his own tribe that are questioning him and what happens, the Bible says, he starts to preach, he starts to teach and the gospel message the good news of reconciliation, the liberating power of the Spirit manifest through Paul. Somebody say amen. amen. Because if the gospel is being preached, we understand that it's not just in preaching, but it's the anointing and the presence and the hand of God that touches this message that goes forth and changes the heart. Well, this text gives us an imagery and a window to see clearly how the Holy Spirit can rock a city, can rock a borough, can rock a community, can rock even a dead church. Because the Bible says that as he walked into the synagogue and he started to what? Be an apologist. Apologist. You see the ministry of apologia in Greek in this text. Apologia does not mean apologize. Apologia means defend the faith. And not defend the faith like you got to defend God. But you are making people understand clearly what it is that you believe in contrast to what they believe so that they can do what? Believe with you and walk with you in faith. You see, Paul was a bad brother. He was bad to the bone. He could preach. He could teach. He was a walking commentary. He was a circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees that has a conversion and then turns into this powerhouse movement 
turns around and sets these churches and synagogues on fire. But as he's doing so, he's dealing with what? The oppression of his own people. The rejection of his own tribe. And what happens is that as he starts to talk, something very, very interesting starts to happen. The gospel, the good news through him and Silas starts to transcend the cultural context. What does that mean? The Bible just said that he was speaking to the Jews and that there were Roman Greeks that were there as well. What happens? It says that many Greeks came to know the gospel. What does that mean? This wasn't just a Jewish thing. This is not what? An everybody thing. How many know that the good news is not the good news just for one people group? Come on, somebody say amen. amen. The good news is not just good news for white folk or evangelicals. I said it. I'll say it again. The good news is not just for black folk who have a strong black church and they got a nice liver, a movement happening. No, no, it's not just for them. The good news is not just for the missional Korean movement coming out, trying to what? Meet uh, uh, New York City and its paganism in current day. No, 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 no. The good news is for everybody that needs the good news. The good news is good news for everybody that needs to be delivered from sin, saved, sanctified, justified by believing in Christ Jesus to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody say amen. I'm sorry, I know the real foreign, but I'm a little Pentecostal here, so if I get a little excited, it's the Latino side acting up. So don't get too offended, don't get too scared. It's my octaves go up, it's not that I'm angry, it's that I'm excited. And if you haven't, if you can't tell this yet, I am Puerto Rican, you know. So, so what that means is that I really believe when I believe, mira, mira, when I believe something, I believe it. I believe it. The problem with the church today is that they preach a gospel they don't believe. The problem with the church today, oh, the problem with the church today is that there is a gospel narrative that is not being presented. That is what multicultural. Multi-dimensional, multi-class, multi-everything. And Paul gives us a context that says what? That says what? That it transcends from the Jews to the Greeks. And then it says to women who were leading in the, in, the, in the ministry, in the social context. So what happens? Who's listening to Paul as he preaches the gospel? Free people. Slaves. The rich. The poor. All in one social context, all in one space. And the good news reaches all of them. The good news reaches all of them. There are different colors and different hues and different languages, different education, different economic. What is the implication there? That a homogeneous church is a, is a, is a conundrum. Yes. That a one race church is a question mark. Yes. That we should not every Sunday be the most segregated country in the, in the, in the globe in the name of faith and in the name of Jesus. There's no such thing as a black church, white church. This is just the church. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, amen. Amen. You see, that's a struggle for some people, though. Because there's even theologians and people that we see on TVN and people that preach in seminaries that say, stay with your own kind. It's easier to do missional church planting with your own people group. Well, that's, that's a problem. Because when I look at the back of the book, somebody say the back of the book. The back of the book. Come on, wake up and say the back of the book. The book of Revelation says that before his throne, in the back of the book, before his throne was every nation, every tongue, every tribe stood before him. And the Bible says that as they worshiped, that even the four creatures and the elders that were there all cast down their crowns. 
So what is the church really supposed to look like? It looks like Zion. Because this is a multicultural church. This is a multi-ethnic church. I sat there and I told Justin, I said, bro, you got to pop it. <laughs> you know how many churches I preach in? And there's a white side of the church? And then there's a few Latinos over here? And then maybe there's three or four Caramels on that side? <laughs> Come on! Can I keep it a hundred? Let me try to say that for those who Can I be honest and transparent? <laughs> Come on! Racism has got to be addressed in the church. There's got to be a reconciliation. Because the good news is not a white thing, a black thing, a Spanish thing. No, no, no. It is a thing for all who are fallen. Somebody say glory to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that world, word in Greek, cosmos. Cosmos. It doesn't just mean space. It doesn't just mean everything that you can see in the eye. No, cosmos in the original interpretation is everything that has fallen. Everything that is broken. Everything. It's not just even to the creation as human souls, but to creation itself that has been what? Tainted by sin. The very creation, Paul in his magnum opus to the church of Rome says this. He says that creation itself is moaning and groaning for the sons of God to take their place. That means until the church gets it together, the world is in trouble. Oh, you got, oh, you got an attitude as I said that? <laughs> you got one person that ain't there. And then she looked around like, oh my God, I'm the only one that she <laughs> We live in the most polarized second of history right now. And to walk into a church that has this many flavors, you got more flavors in here than a Cold Stone ice cream shop. Glory to God. I ain't seen no pistachio yet, but I'm still looking. In the South Bronx, I would tell my church, can I kick this? And they'll say, yes, you can. Can I kick it? Yeah. I know there's one hardcore hip-hop over here on the left. He said, yes, you can. Because he understood the hip-hop reference. Some of you more, uh, I look at folk in the back and say, I guess you can. <laughs> I guess you can. What happens when the gospel's moving? What happens when the gospel's moving? There are three elements of apostolic movement, gospel, generative movements that you find in this text. Number one, the gospel is being preached, it was being proclaimed. Something happens when the gospel comes forth. Somebody say amen. amen. You didn't just, wasn't born in that chair by osmosis. The gospel was preached, and that's how you got in that chair. Tell your neighbor to come down in the face and say, you got here because the gospel was preached. Tell them, tell them right now. I know I'm stretching the culture of your church. I got you talking to each other and so on and so forth. I know it's hard for some white folk. They're like, oh my, I gotta talk to you? I can't hear the word. <laughs> I wanted to hear the three Latinas doing their thing. No, no, I gotta talk to people now when I come to church? Yes, <laughs> you know? It's the problem with us that we'll come to church We'll go to the rhythm of rhythm of religion or relationship until you become a body that knows each other, until you become a family. Gospel being preached. And then what happens? Transformative power happens in the preaching of the word, but discipleship only happens when the gospel is taught. If you're taking notes, when the gospel is preached, it's moving. When the gospel is taught, it's also moving. You see, some people love preaching, but they can't stand teaching. 
they run from prophet to prophet to prophet to prophet to prophet. They're looking for a T.D. Jakes word. They're looking for, come on, I said it. They're looking for a Tony Evans word. They're looking for a Christine King word. God got a word for you. If you would just open up your Bible and read the word of God. I'm sorry, you'd have to learn something if you did that. Forgive me. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to be arrogant. But we have the most illiterate Christian movement in history right now. In the Covenant Church, there were two questions we asked each other traditionally. And this is where the swaying comes out of me. The first one is a pneumatological one, a Holy Spirit one. The first one is, how there goes your walk? And the implication is, are you walking with the Spirit? Are you moving? Are you listening? Are you living? Can the Spirit tell you to shut up? Woo, the best preachers know when to shut up. Somebody say amen. amen. The best preachers know when to be quiet and to hush. Because if you're a preacher, teacher, this mouth don't belong to you. It belongs to God. You know when to mm, stay in your lane. <laughs> the second question is, where is it written? Somebody repeat after me. Say, how goes your walk? Second question is, where is it written? Now you're all swayed with me. Because the Covenant Church wraps up its culture, its theology into a sentence and modality that asks, is the spirit present? And if it's the spirit, where is it in the Bible? Where is it in the Bible? I'm a reform, I'm a sacramentalist. I believe in the sacraments of the church. But let me help you with this. The most important thing in the church is not the sacraments. It's the people. Jesus didn't die across the sacraments. He didn't die for the institution of, I'm not even trying to upset the reformed folk up in here. But let me help you with this. Well, I got 19 minutes left. <laughs> let me help you with this. He went to the cross for people. He went to the cross for the rich, for the broken, for the lost, for the sick, for the immigrant. And the current neutrality and silence on the onslaught against the most vulnerable is an indictment against today's church. Because if we are gospel-believing, Jesus-breathing people, if we are truly filled with the Holy Spirit, then we should be lamenting and crying, shaving our heads bald, sitting in, a, in sacks, ripping our clothes, putting on ashes at the, at the atrocity that's happening at the border. Children being taken from their parents. We should be in lament about the African-American genocide of taking young black boys and throwing them in jail forever. Dr. James Cone, father of black liberation, liberation theology, just passed on. And he cited in his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, a tremendous book if you're an academic, I highly suggest it. It's not liberation theology, but it is an indictment, a prophetic call against what? The silence of the church. If we are gospel believing, we need to know that the gospel always what? Confronts oppressive systems. Some people better, why are you saying that? Let me help you with that. Every prophet went before a king in the Old Testament. That king represents a system. That system is a government. Elijah faces Jezebel, right? So who's, who is the system of the time? He, he confronts the wickedness of the system. He calls out the sin. Matter of fact, he is so under the anointing and the grace that when he shuts it down, the text hadn't been written yet for almost a thousand years. But you know, there's some things that we can that we can lock on earth that are getting locked in heaven. That's what he does. 
Because he's afraid. You know the power that you have? Because you are gospel believers. Do you understand the role and the responsibility to be a healthy missional church in this context in Brooklyn? Let me ask you a question. The Bible says here that when Paul and Silas started to preach, that people started to get saved, even the Greeks, and that some people got upset. Does anybody get upset at your faith? Does anybody get uncomfortable when you walk in a room? Because who are you walking in the room with? Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Devils tremble when you walk in the room. The, 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 the powers of darkness stand up and pay attention to you when you walk in the room. Because it's not just you. If you've accepted Christ as Lord, who is in you? The Holy Spirit. The very spirit of life, the very spirit of the body, the very spirit. When you call on the name of Jesus, prison cells shake. Chains fall off. Disease has to bow down before the spirit of God. Somebody say amen. We quote these texts and these scriptures, but do you believe what you're saying? Do you believe what you're singing? Girl, let me tell you. I'm tired of people who can memorize the text, but I can't see the text memorized in their life. I'm tired of people that can preach and unpack deep theological constructs, but they can't love their neighbor. I'm tired of people that can talk about reformed communism, but they can't love the crackhead, can't embrace the prostitute, can't go and visit somebody in there. This gospel moves. This gospel moves. The spirit of God in you, right? It overflows into other people's space. We, not, you don't even have to try to do it. Have, some of you may have this testimony. You ever met somebody before you were saved? They were saved and you saw them and there was just something about them? Yes. Put your hands up. I don't know what I'm talking to. I got the sister in the back. Anybody else? Can <laughs> right? Listen to me. You ever saw that person and there was something about the way they spoke? Something about the way they walked? Something about the way they interacted? Somebody would be cracking a filthy joke. They wouldn't partake in it. Somebody would be doing something wrong. They would call it out. Somebody would turn around and get hurt. They would be in mourning. Oh my God, what happened? Let me tell you something. I come out the South Bronx, dude. <laughs> <laughs> South Bronx, side. You know, I'm a professor in New Testament. I went to go lecture at my alma mater, Lions Theological Seminary. They had me come to the chapel and I had on my little shirt like this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I walked in with my version of skinny jeans. Because <laughs> when you got pork chops like this, you know what I mean? I'm just talking for the morning, can you use the crowd for the Spanish people? I'm a little wide in the middle of the long run. Cup running over when it comes to this. So skinny jeans on me don't look like skinny jeans on Justin, amen? Today, you know what I'm saying? Today I can say I'm okay with Justin wearing skinny jeans and me wearing my version. And I can remember sitting down in my seminary that I graduated from, lecturing, teaching, right? All the deans are now my former classmates, and then sitting down there, nobody's sitting next to me. Because I just didn't look like I belonged in the place. You know what I'm saying? I had on jeans with rips, if you can imagine that. Troll shirt like this, me all the way to the top. Tattoos flaring. Sitting in the back. Just processing. 
walked in. Walk. There were 70 people sitting on that side. There was three people sitting on this side, and one of them was blind. Like, I wish I was embellishing this story. There was a student that walked in with an aide and a stick. And she said, we're gonna sit right here. And the aide looked at her and said, we don't wanna sit here, girl. We wanna go to the other side. So then Dr. Hammond, my friend, Pastor uh, BT, Brooklyn Tabernacle, he gets up, he starts saying, well, we wanna, we're so blessed today to have our visiting professor, Dr. Michael Carrion, a former classmate of mine, superintendent of this charter school, planted seven churches, he's now the senior director of da 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 He blew it up so big, I didn't know who he was, who he was talking about. <laughs> I wasn't saying, oh my God, I'm starting to sweat some broken. Please don't, up. please stop that. Jesus is the rock star. But listen to me, listen, listen. I'm sitting there, you know, like this, right? feeling unsafe. And the theological institution where I paid thousands of dollars to get my degree. Everybody's sitting on that side. Professors alone, because they don't know who I am. I got my line, I mean, it grew another. I got a real big line over here, right? It's the South Bronx line, all the way to the back of my hand, you know what I'm saying? I can keep going, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dr. Carrion, this, Dr. Carrion, that, Professor Carrion, this. Professor Carrion, when you come to the floor, you know what you speak? And when I got up, everybody in that side was like, yo! <laughs> the Mexican dude is the. That's where I'm going. 
And then I can go off to Union Square and I'm led back to the Bronx. The gospel moves. And the gospel is moving in this trip so powerfully. You are an anomaly. You're giving birth. I heard that everybody's pregnant in this church. <laughs> Ask your neighbor, are you pregnant too? Ask your neighbor, are you pregnant? <laughs> You got two minutes to listen to them. I ain't asking them. I ain't asking. This ain't that type of church. I ain't asking them. Everybody pregnant in this church. I walked in and said, Bro, let me tell you in advance, this is a fertile church. I said, What does that mean, bro? What does that mean? I said, Bro, we got in there. Same wife, 32 years. I ain't got no money. Maybe my daughter ain't got no money. Fertile, don't touch me. Stay away. I got three grandkids. Amen. Let me tell you something. I love being a grandfather. I love being. Do I like a grandfather? Do I like a grandfather? The Uber driver don't over here because you know I'm always talking about business. Preachers talk about their family all the time, right? Anybody who listens, we're going to talk about Jesus and our family. The guy used to talk about uh, Indonesia. He says, Oh, you got children? I said, I have five adult children. And I said, My daughter graduates college next week, and my oldest granddaughter is this age. You have grandchildren? I said, Yes. Three. And he says, you look too young. I said, thank you, brother. Thank you for that. Right? And I said, but how old are you? He said, 29. I said, I could be your father. I could be, call me Bobby. Say, make me stronger next time. I could be your father. He's laughing. I got this guy dying. I said, listen, no, we don't want to see Jesus today. Get me to the church. I got excited. I got to tell this Brooklyn church, they got to get lit for Jesus. I gotta tell them that you're supposed to live the way you look. I gotta tell this church that there should be a mob of indifference. You should be interrupting this community. You should be interrupting the systems. You should be interrupting this school. Interrupted in the name of Jesus. There should be, let me tell you something. What does the text say? The text says that they broke. <laughs> I never got up one day 
You know, I'm a Team Challenge graduate, proud of that. Saved on the Nikki Cruz. Was strung out on crack, was homeless. Messed up, in and out of jail. I used to have a lot of titles. Today they call me professor. Today they call me bishop. Today they call me doctor. Today I get glory. I'm in front of you good people today because the gospel goes to places where church folk don't want to go. I said it, I will say it again. I'm in church today because the gospel goes to places where church folk don't want to go. Amen. Let me ask you, Zion. Your name is Zion. <laughs> I told my son Matthew, he's like, you guys want to address him? Matthew, I've been called to Zion to preach. I'm going to the holy mountain. I'm going to the place of transformation. Where is it, Daddy? In Baby's Brooklyn. One tear come up. My son. My, my kids look at me and I say, Daddy, what is wrong with you? Any other parents here get that same? Put your hands up. Come on, come on up. Put your hands over there. Put your hands up. You, bro, your wife's out here. Put both your hands up. Come on. You got the Zion show on you. Commercial. Put them up there. You commercial, boss. My kids look at me. 32, 29, 27, 25, 24. They look at me like, Daddy, what is wrong with you? <laughs> when they got, and this is just a sidebar, when they got people coming over, they sent me to my room. <laughs> Daddy, my friends from school are coming over. Okay. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> we want you to go upstairs to your room. Zion power out here. 